Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast. My name is James and I'm the pastor here at Sar Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. And this is our midweek audio only teaching. We're walking through God's Word one chapter a week and today we get to Leviticus chapter 5. Now as we say almost every week, if you've never read Leviticus 5, if you've not read it in the recent past, go ahead, press pause, read it, and then we'll come back together as we seek to know So Leviticus 5 picks up, well, it's a seamless transition between what we would call chapters 4 and 5. We're still talking about sin offerings. So if you didn't listen last week to Leviticus 4, maybe go ahead and listen to that first. Uh, But Leviticus 5 picks up, if anyone sins in that he is a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. So very, very simply, if you are uh, put forward as a witness, if you are put under oath, if you are asked to testify, if you, are, if you know something that you should share and you don't, it's considered sin. So it's not enough to be just always telling the truth. Yes, we should always be truthful. But what's going on here, what has been said here is like, look, it's not only tell the truth when you're asked, this is 100% all the time, volunteer that information. If you know something, if you're a witness, whether you've seen it, whether you, you know about it, and you don't come forward, yet does not speak, it's counted as sin. And then the rest of this first passage lists other specific uh, instances, examples of how the people could become ceremonially guilty or ceremonially unclean, how they could sin ceremonially, how nothing that they've done per se, but how they could come into contact with sin. So we read in verse 2, if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether this is a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of of unclean livestock or of unclean swarming things, and it's hidden from them, and he's become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, whether you come into contact with human uncleanness. Again, this is ceremonially unclean. This is not just you need a bath kind of thing. If you, Whatever sort of the uncleanness may be, the idea is look, if you come into contact with this stuff, and you at first you don't realize it, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, You've got to deal with it. As soon as we realize that we've sinned, we sin the moment we transgress God's laws and word and will and ways. And many, many times, you know, maybe we just don't realize. What's been said here in Leviticus is as soon as you realize it, you've got to atone for it. Verse 4 is another example. If you utter a rash oath to do anything, evil or good, if you swear on something, you don't do it. If, if you make a rash oath, you don't fulfill it. As soon as that is pointed out to you, when you come to know it, as soon as you realize that guilt, you've got to confess the sin. And the idea behind that word, the root of this word, is to agree with God that what you have done is wrong. It's to take God's side against your own fleshly self. 
It's to agree with God that your conduct, your actions, your thoughts, your deeds, your words, it's to agree with God that what you have done is, is, is wrong. It's to take God's side against yourself. Confess that sin. And then we come, we bring to the Lord as compensation, we read, for the sin that's been committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. There's the connection back to last week, uh, chapter 4, when this, is, this process is carried out, when this process is fulfilled, we read the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. And at the end of verse 10, we read, he shall be forgiven. So very, very simply, this first passage in Leviticus 5, as soon as we realize that we have sinned, as soon as it is brought to our attention, as soon as we learn that we have sinned, we must confess it. We must make atonement for it. And yes, there is a huge gap between us and God's people here in Leviticus. Our method of atonement is no longer sin offerings and guilt offerings, as we're going to read about in a little moment, Ours, our method of atonement is the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross. But the principle remains the same, even though the particulars might not be. As soon as we realize, as soon as we learn that our, our conduct, our, our, our character, our actions, our thoughts, our words, our deeds are sinful, are taking us away from that which God wants for us, we confess that and we come to him in confession. Scripture talks about we confess our sin to God and he forgives us. He is good. He is merciful. He is gracious. Scripture talks about confessing sins to one another. Being part of, really part of, a community where you can say to people, look, what you're doing is, is sinful. And they can do the same for you. And then confession is made. We don't need a particular person. It's not a priest. It's a, you know, it's not a, we go and sit in a special booth and we give confession through the wall. We confess our sin to God. We humble ourselves in prayer and say to him, God, I know, I realize, I've now learned that what I'm doing is wrong. Forgive me. And the same when we're with one another. Confess your sins to one another. And it just highlights the need for us to be a part of a covenant community, a community where these things are taken really seriously. But we can say to one another, look, brother, sister, what you're doing is not right. You know, we read in, in James chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins to one another. Take this. Seriously, you know, do this. You know, James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or achieves much, accomplishes much. Confessing sin to one another and then spurring each other on to pray and ask God for forgiveness heals you of the consequence of your sin. And then we read in verse 7, if he cannot afford a lamb, he shall bring uh, to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering, one for a burnt offering. This shows us, this tells us, this teaches us that the sacrifice that we give, 
is, is personal and proportionate. If you cannot afford a lamb from the flock, if you can't afford to give this much, then you give what you can afford. If you can't afford a lamb, you shall bring uh, two turtle doves or two pigeons. Later on in this chapter, verse 11, if you can't afford two turtle doves, you can bring a tenth of an ephah of fine flour. Even the poorest among the people can still give these offerings, make these sacrifices. And that is proportion. That works both ways as well. We shouldn't be giving flour if we can afford a lamb. And if we can't afford a lamb or turtle doves or pigeons, we give what we can afford. And it is all right to give flour, we read, of the people. And that works Again, the particulars are different, but the principle is still so very true for you and me. We give to God what we can what we can give to God. It's personal and it's proportionate. You know, Jesus talked about the old lady putting two coins into the offering for her. That was a tremendous amount. If you're struggling financially, giving is personal and proportionate. If you've got a big, comfortable salary, you putting two coins in simply is is not all right. That works both ways. If you can't afford, if you literally don't have the lamb to give, if you cannot afford to put X, Y, or Z in the offering every week, you're not under obligation to do that. But if you can, and you're giving God the spare change from the coffee that you bought on the way to church, that's not all right. We should be giving God our best. We've talked about that so many times already in Leviticus. The proportionate thing works both ways. If you don't have the lamb or the birds, that's all right. You give what you can. But if you do have and you don't give, then that's not all right either. So the process with the lamb is essentially uh, replicated for the turtle doves or the pigeons, for those kind of people who can kind of afford, kind of have the resources. Uh, interesting that one is for the sin offering, one's for a burn offering. We're going to atone for the sin first, and then the second one is a burn offering, which is for uh, consecration. It's more of a commitment. So the sin is covered, and the second one is the commitment that, yes, I'm going to do my earthly best to avoid tripping over this same sin again. The process is essentially the same. We confess the sin. We're made aware of the sin We confess it, it is atoned for, paid for, covered over, and we are forgiven. Read at the end of verse 10, and he shall be forgiven. And again, verses 11 to 13, it's the the process is essentially replicated, but what is being sacrificed, what is being given is different. So the message there, the point for you and me, is that your heart is so much more important than the stuff that is being sacrificed. The heart behind confession, atonement, forgiveness is so much more important, whether it's a lamb, some pigeons, some turtle doves, a bit of flour. The fact that you recognize your sin, own up to your sin, confess your sin, want your sin to be atoned for, you're seeking forgiveness. That is so much more important than what you actually bring as an offering. Because we know, don't we? Because Hebrews tells us, reminds us in the New Testament. We see it here all throughout the Old Testament. The blood of bulls and lambs and goats and birds and flower. and All of that stuff cannot really, truly, 
ever perpetually cover over your sin. It's a it's a, a preview, it's a type, it's a foreshadow of something greater, better. The fact that Jesus died for you in his sinless, spotless sacrifice, his blood shed for you will truly pay for, atone for, cover your sins. And you contribute nothing to your salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. So the heart behind, I confess my sin, God, I agree with you that what I'm doing is wrong. Please forgive me. This sin needs to be atoned for once and for all. And we actively seek forgiveness. That is so much more important than the lamb, the birds, the flower. As we move through to the end of this uh, chapter, verses 14 to 19 at the end, we speak about guilt offerings, we read about guilt offerings. And this says, essentially, if you commit a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord. So the guilt offering, essentially, same procedure. Uh, holy things to the Lord. So if, you, if you've sinned against, if you've not done quite rightly, and then somebody points it out to you, you've not given properly in, in the, your offering of first fruits, your firstborn from the flock, your tithes, your offerings, your vowed offering, things you've promised. When you've not quite given enough, done it right, there's guilt there. You realize, oh, I've not done this Right, it's unintentional. You've not tried to defraud God, the people, the community, the church in our vernacular. But when you realize, hang on a minute, I've not been giving enough. I've not been doing enough. We read that there is a guilt offering. It's a ram without blemish on the flock of the the equivalent in, in silver shekels. We read, interestingly as well, this is, probably going to make some people very uncomfortable. In verse 16, he shall also make restitution for what has done, what he has done amiss in the holy things and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest makes atonement for him with the ram and the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. So very, very simply, if you've not been doing something right and it's brought to your attention, tithes, offerings, giving, times, talent, if you've not been giving enough of yourself your resources, your gifts, your talent, your skills, your tithe, your money, whatever you are not giving enough of, you've not been doing it right. Uh, if we read here, you sin unintentionally because you genuinely didn't know. You know, you, again, exam, example, you're putting the change from your coffee into the offering every week and then it's pointed out to you like, look, as a Christian, as a believer, God deserves your best, not the rest. When that is brought to you lovingly, hopefully, in the context of a church community, not just some random guy saying you need to put X amount of money in every week. When that is brought up to you, that's unintentionally sinning. It's not quite what God wants for you. So we confess, God, I'm sorry, I didn't, I had no idea that I should be giving, doing, being X, Y, and Z. But then there's restitution to be made. There is payback to be made. There's restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy things, and you're going to add a fifth to it. 
So again, that example, if you've just been putting in the offering every week, the change from the coffee that you buy on the way to church, and somebody says, hey, look, really, as a believer, the scripturally evidenced model from beginning to end is that we give God a 10%. A tithe literally means 10%. We give God 10% of everything that he's blessed us with. And you've been giving God the change from the coffee that you buy. And somebody points out to you, like, look, you're a believer, tithes, Old Testament, Jesus reinforced this teaching, Paul, evident, you know, it's all there. You need to get on board with what Scripture says about your finances, as the example here. But there's also payback to be made. Restitution, we read. You shall add a fifth to it. And if you read around this, I read something that was very, very interesting. And it says that if somebody has been unfaithful in the holy things of God, it's not enough to confess and bring your offering. Restitution must be made for the wrong done. It must be put right. There was something due to God that was not given in its proper season. And things will not be right until it's rendered. Till it's given. So let's be clear, we're not talking about your salvation. Jesus achieved that, purchased that for you with his sacrifice on the cross, his death and his resurrection. What we're talking about is if you've been living the Christian life, partaking in the fellowship, the teaching, the covenant community of a church, but not contributing to it, and this is brought up to you lovingly, but in the truth of Scripture, hey, look. You've got to start contributing, and all that time that you've sat and taken in, soaked it in, and then left, there is restitution to be made for that. You've got to put it right. There was something due to God, your time, your talent, your tithe, that for a season you've not given. And things are not going to be quite right for you in that community, in that place, in your walk, until... You give what you owed for that time when you gave nothing. Now again, please don't misunderstand me. We're not talking about your salvation. That is Christ and Christ alone. Grace alone through faith alone. We're talking about now, in light of that, what do you do with yourself, your time, your talents, your treasures? There are some really clear expectations for us that don't melt away. In Jesus, He came to fulfill the law. He doesn't look back and say, look, everything you've ever read, everything you've ever done, doesn't matter now. He fulfilled this sacrificial system. But the, the moral thing here of, hey, look, something is due to God because he is so great. It's due to him because he is so good. It's due to him because he forgives. That's still very much in play for you and for me today. The last paragraph, the last passage, uh, verses 17 to 19, is so good. It's a, very, a bit of a, a summary. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it. So if you sin, you don't realize it. Then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. Look, whether you realize it or not, you've sinned. As soon as you sin, confess, atone. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish to the flock. That's where we depart from the Old Testament. We're not taking rams. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we don't realize it. Yes, it's brought to our attention. We still need to make atonement, but Jesus did that for you. You're not taking rams, but you're still a sinner. 
But the method of forgiveness, the framework for forgiveness is different. It's not a ram anymore. Atonement has been made for you. It's not continually being made, like we read here in Leviticus 5. It has been made for you through Jesus. Because whether you sinned on purpose, whether you genuinely didn't know what you were doing was sin, as soon as it's pointed out to you, you get on God's side, you admit, whoa, not how I should be living. God, you are right. I'm sorry. I'm going to seek forgiveness. And it's not now a ram, a bull, a goat, a bird, some flower. It's Jesus that was offered. And this should be a process for us that is ongoing. F.B. Meyer wrote that it's kind of like unpacking a box. And if you live in Bahrain, you're probably very comfortable unpacking boxes, moving houses. We start with the little things on top of the box. And as we dig down, as we dig deeper, there are heavier, bigger things. And it's the same in our Christian life. We start with the things on the surface that are very, very obvious where we're sinning. As we dig deeper, as we go deeper into the word and the will of God and the ways of God and the life to be lived by a believer, we realize, wow, there are some big, heavy, deep things at the bottom of this box that I need to pull out, to confess, to have atoned for. Because whether I've realized it or not, they are sin. They do need to be confessed. They do need to be made right. You do need to change how you're living. And you do need to get in line with God's word and will and ways. One last thing. The beautifully bearded uh, Charles Spurgeon said, look, ignorance of God's will and word and ways isn't an excuse. Oh, I genuinely didn't know. Ignorance in itself is a breach. We've been given all we need in Scripture, the Bible. We've been given all we need to know of God. Jesus came and lived it out for us. We have all we need to live the life that God wants us to live. We see what he says we should do, shouldn't do, where the choice is ours, what's situational, what changes over times and periods and seasons, what is an unequivocal non-negotiable. It's all there in the pages of Scripture. So as Charles Spurgeon said, ignorance of it is actually a bit of a breach in itself because you ought to know, you should know. It's all there written down for you in any language that you want to read it in. It is written down for you. Again, the difference, though, is how we make atonement. We read, we learn, we soak it in, we see, we confess. Atonement still needs to be made, but the difference for you and me is it's not now bulls, goats, birds, or flower. It was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his death and his resurrection that atones. Forgiveness is still available for you and for me when we sin unintentionally, as it was here in Leviticus 5. But it just comes about through a different sacrifice, the better, greater, once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Next week, we'll get into Leviticus 6. We'll talk more about the priests and some different offerings. But until then, God bless you.